For creation breathed its first breath, and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my
Good morning, guys. Why don't you stand up on your feet? Let's find someone and tell them good morning. Good morning, everybody. 
It is uh, great to see you this morning. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful weekend. It almost feels like fall here, doesn't it? Beautiful outside, humidity gone, and uh, I hope you'll be able to get outside. And <laughs> What am I talking about? There's Houston football. There's Dallas football. So you'll be inside, but make sure you sit by a window because it's nice outside. Well, if you'll take your uh, worship guides and open them, I want to highlight a few things. For those of you who are visiting with us, whether in the room or online, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are awfully glad to have you with us this morning. And uh, we want to be clear that although we like having you with us, our hope and our prayers actually that you fall in love with Jesus Christ. Uh, we want you to like us, but we want you to love him. Uh, and our hope is that we represent him well to you and that you have a wonderful morning of encouragement. That is our goal. This morning we're starting a new series. Uh, it's called uh, It's Personal, Not Business. And it is going to be a study of first uh, and maybe second Thessalonians, but the, the letters that Paul writes to the Thessalonican Christians and then also to first and second Timothy. So uh, it's going to be a great study. It's going to be 13 years. So uh, just uh, just uh, I hope if you brought a Bible, great. If you didn't, we'll put it on the screen. Uh, predominantly, I'll be using new, new living translations. So great to have you here. Uh, our hope is that uh, that you get want to know our daddy. Uh, because he loves you so much, and, and uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, Carpenter's Way family, I want to highlight a few things. Our missionaries this week are Blake and Christina Davis, and uh, a lot of you may not know that name. Uh, Blake and Christina are actually our missionaries. I think, uh, did we just start supporting them this year? Last year? So a couple years they've been on our mission team, but they're friends. With, some of you may know them because they're from the area, and they serve in Guatemala. And uh, our mission, our, we took a short-term mission team down this summer, uh, Jeremy uh, and his family brought a group of Carpenters Way. We're going to do another one next year. Uh, but please be praying for these folks as, uh, as they have ministry in other parts of the world. And there's information. You can put it on your uh, uh, dining room table. And as a family, before you pray for meals, you, you can pray for them and lift them up to the Lord, get to know them a little bit. So uh, please, please make note of that. I also want to mention that TNT is this week. Uh, this is for senior adults, uh, of which I am almost one. Um, if you're 50 and older or feel like it, we always say, you're welcome to join them. There's information in there about that. Uh, also, we have, uh, believe it or not, we have more baptisms. We had 15, 14 last Sunday. We got more next Sunday and, and more coming up. If you have not been baptized and would like to make a public statement to say, my life belongs to the Lord, we'd love to, do, we'd love to dip you in water. And uh, so uh, if you will let us know, you can call the office or talk to Alicia, Jeff, or myself. We would love to make sure that happens. Um, also want to welcome the Lindley family in the membership of our church. Great to have them with us. Um, and now I'm going to take two minutes, and I'm going to talk about something I rarely, rarely talk about, and that's politics. Take a deep breath. Um, I am not here to tell you who to vote for. Um, I don't even tell my kids who to vote for. I just steal their voter registration cards and show up several times. <laughs> Having said that, I want to remind you that what is being lost right now in this weird discussion is that we have uh, co-equal parts of our government. Uh, the executive branch, the legislative branch, the ju judicial branch. And uh, we have a mess at the executive branch. Well, no matter what side of the aisle you're going to vote on, there's a problem. And uh, the question is, for many people, who do you hate more? Um, let me just help you with something. I want to remind you that that's only one-third of our government. And who you vote for is more important that you vote for a platform than a personality. Uh, because the platform affects things like the... A judicial branch, the Supreme Court. That's and so when you when you can't vote for anybody, you start working your way through logically. What can I vote for, and what impact can I make? And I am fully aware that there's a large percentage of this church that believes that th that the compassion of the Democrat Party is the way to go. And you should make sure that that platform re reflects your values. Then vote for the candidate that does that, even if you don't like the candidate. 
but please don't sit out of this election. I, it has always, God has used uh, Nebuchadnezzar and evil people in times past to accomplish his plan. And uh, we are fooling ourselves if we think that this is the first year where we've had somebody who isn't thoughtful when they deal with the laws or somebody whose promiscuity is overshadowing. Uh, please look at their platform and vote, vote whoever you feel represents the value system of the kingdom of God. And I don't mean the Christian values of the church. Look, the <laughs> we're not voting for pastor here, okay? I, I actually, actually, that's a good thing you're not voting for pastor. You're voting for a platform. And so I just want to encourage you, don't, don't let the media discourage you from participating in citizenship, and I mean small c, where you, you and I can't have an impact. At the end of the day, on November 9th, God's person will be in power. But you can't gripe on the 10th if you don't participate on the 8th. That's going to be our rule, if you don't vote. So when you gripe to me, I'm going to say, did you vote? And then you can gripe. But God's got this. Don't lose heart. God has this. But you participate, okay? God's even got your heart condition, but it's a good idea not to eat too much deep fat. So trust him, pray, but remember that the president is only one-third of our government, but there's two-thirds that are deeply affected by how you vote. So down ballot, look at those people and, and the values that you think are biblical, and also uh, Supreme Court choices. This is going to affect the court for 30 or 40 years. So uh, it's exciting times. Uh, it's not boring. Um, and uh, just, uh, you know, keep moving, okay? That's all I'm going to say about politics. I should have put red, white, and blue on the walls. We could have had this thing glowing. But I just want to encourage your family, have an impact. Don't, you, don't just get disgusted. There's a portion of the political system that wants you disgusted and to stay home. Don't stay home. Make a mad. Vote. Make a mad. So uh, if you need help with who to vote for, uh, you can talk to, uh, I'm just teasing I'm just kidding. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward after that wonderful announcement. Uh, we're going to take our offering now. For those of you who haven't been in church in a long time or don't attend, I, I want to just talk about this for a second. What we do is we receive money to pay these bills, plus we support 10,000 missionaries through the Southern Baptist Convention locally and globally who reach people for Christ, plant churches all over the globe. And then we have 14 missionaries, and I mentioned one this morning that we support as a church. So we're very involved in missions. The monies we received goes to go to all that. That's where the money goes. And we spend all of it. That's our goal, to spend as much of it as we can on the work of the Lord. Uh, if you're visiting with us, and that is if this is not your church home, we ask you not to participate. This is for those who come regularly. We're just glad you're here. And our hope and our prayer again is that you leave here having fallen in love with Jesus. A little later, we're going to have communion. If you are a child of God, and why that I mean, if you have accepted Christ's offer to forgive your sin through his blood, you're welcome to participate with us. This does not belong to Carpenter's Way Church. This is the kingdom thing. So we we'll want you to participate with us this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, if you're not sure you're saved, then we just want you to enjoy yourself this morning. And when the plate comes by, whether it's the offering plate or the communion plate, just pass it. Uh, ju just pass it. You can look at it as it goes by and wonder what it is. I'll tell you, it's, it's cheap grape juice and uh, matzo bread, uh, and that's what it is. But we're just glad you're here, and our hope and our prayer is that you, like I said, fall in love with Jesus. So let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we love you. Uh, we're thankful, Father, that it matters that... Um, that we love you because you first loved us. If we loved you and you hadn't loved us, then we'd still be in trouble. So I thank you. I thank you for dying for us. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that this isn't religion. It's personal. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us what that means starting this morning in this study. Lord God, I pray for our country. We are one month yet, uh, minus one day away from voting for the next president of this country. I pray, Lord, that we would, uh, well, I just pray we participate. And uh, Lord, we know you're in control. We know you've got this, 
I pray, Father, for a spiritual revival in this country that starts with the church, Lord. I pray that our anger, our, our angry rhetoric would cease and our love would increase and people would be overwhelmed with our, with our passionate love for them. So uh, bless us. I pray for the monies that we're going to receive, that you would, we, we will be careful to use them for your glory. I pray uh, that we would be able to continue to pay our bills and do all that. Thank you for how you provided in the past. Uh, and we're just excited about you being here with us this morning as we turn our eyes away from the business of life and church back on you. Uh, we love you, Dad. Now, now make yourself known to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Oh, and death. 
you have paid our debt, God, we can stand secure. We can stand secure, Lord, knowing that our sins are forgiven. We can stand secure, Lord, knowing that you look on us with love. We can stand secure, Lord, knowing that you've got all the craziness that goes on around us. God, that we can just stop, we can rest, and we can just declare that, God, you are great. You are a great God. You are a great great God. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing pray together. It is your breath in our lungs, Father, and we pour out our praise. Lord, I pray for we at Carpenter's Way that we would be so overwhelmed by your presence and by your love and by this that we can't help sing your praise through our lives, the decisions we make, the interactions we have pe with people, that every time we exhale, we exhale the glory of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would passionately and deeply and overwhelmingly be yours. And may our lives reflect that. Thank you for music that allows us to express the, the emotions, the facts of our heart. Forgive us for sometimes singing these songs and not thinking about what we're singing. And forgive us, Father, for not being moved by your presence and your love. And my prayer is, Father, that if there is somebody here who does not know that love, that does not know you, that has not been adopted into your family by the blood purchase of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. If uh, we haven't dismissed the kids, they're dismissed at this time. Uh, I...
may disappoint you a little bit here, but I am a fan of the Godfather movies. I uh, thank you for confessing with me. It will prepare us for communion later. <laughs> um, and for those of you who've only seen one or two, the reason I love it is because of three, and you need to, you need to see all three. I, I encourage you to watch all three if you like that sort of movie, one after the other after the other, because the, the story of redemption is in the third one, but I don't want to give away the fact that sometimes you get stuck in your sin, but that's a different discussion. Yes, I'm that person. I can't help but see that in every movie, but it's, it's, it is violent, and it's got bad language, so I encourage you not to watch it, but if you do, watch all three. In the Godfather movies, uh, which you know is about mafia families from top to bottom through generations, uh, living their lives out across the country and their, their family business, uh, you come to find um, that they knew each other very, very well. Um, most of these people grew up together, uh, even, even among warring families. Uh, they would gather together at a regular basis, and, and uh, mafia guys who have turned and worked with the FBI will say that that's a very accurate picture of the life, but they would often gather together for family events. If you remember how the movie opens, the first one, those, both of you who saw the movies, liars. The movie starts at a wedding, and they're all there. Multiple families gathering together for a big wedding, and, and uh, but you will remember that uh, in the movies, in each one of the three movies that Scorsese makes, there is a scene at least in each one where a member of one family is going to off a member of another family. And they're aware of it. And right before they're killed, there's a statement that that mafia individual who's about to kill the other one says right after he kisses them. Just remember, it's business, not personal. And in most cases, the person about to be killed says, I understand. It's their life. Uh, it's a little like saying, bless your heart after you've trashed somebody. <laughs> uh, I love the South. We've talked about this before, and many of you have discovered through my making fun of it that when you sit with somebody and you've just badmouthed somebody, if you end with bless his heart, it's like, okay, out of, get out of, it's okay that you badmouth him. Get out of jail free card. We laugh a little bit and we move on. Um, in dozens of pastors' gatherings that I have had the privilege of participating in in my 30-some years of ministry, um, also in church meetings in local churches I've been a part of, and even from pulpits when we're talking about money or administration of the church, you will often hear, and maybe you've said this yourself or you've thought this yourself, you will often hear the saying, well, church is a business after all. Um, it has not been uncommon in my experience to see friends and family who grew up together actually in church business meetings attack each other in a business meeting and go after each other in ways that are very hurtful. And when the business meeting is over and the bleeding has stopped and somebody leaves with their tail between their legs to have somebody say, isn't it wonderful to be part of the family of God where we can be so open? It is business after all. Um, there's a lot of similarity between that and the mafia, if you ask me. The idea that church is a business, um, I think, well, I think, it, I think it goes back to our idea that sometimes we don't often, what we think of, when we think of church business, we think of money and we think of property, and, and certainly all of that is true, but so is it that healthy families um, procures a safe place to live and should have a budget little guilt there. 
should have a budget. They do business as well, but a family isn't business. It just has business practices if it's going to be healthy. Sometimes churches with this underlying idea of being a business tries to win larger crowds or more, or more conversions under the business model and may have superficial results but don't make disciples. It's a business. Um, I remember uh, in years past of a church in Atlanta that was a wealthy church and had an individual that owned a car dealership and once a month, they didn't tell you which week, but they would give away a car as part of the service in order to drag in people. I, I mean, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but it's just business. I remember one church that had in the back a uh, hair salon and a small mall. Even the wording begins to change. We call it a mall instead of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It's just business terms. Um, we hire PR firms to do our things and to, to grow because we think we think that success equals numerical growth. But if you ask Willow Creek Community Church's pastor, who started this in many ways, the mega church model, and was the largest church in America for many years, I think it, it's been in the last 10 years that Bill Hybels wrote a book entitled We Were Wrong. And his whole thing is we did grow a large church and we had many conversions, but our disciple meetings were tiny. People weren't growing deeply spiritually. You see, brothers and sisters, our task is not to grow numerically. I mean, to be truthful with you, nobody split his following quicker and more than Jesus Christ did. And it was constantly upsetting the disciples. They were constantly saying, don't you care that they're leaving? And Jesus wouldn't even answer the question. He wasn't concerned about numbers. He was concerned about depth. He was concerned about growth. Because our task is actually not to grow numerically, but to grow healthy followers of Christ who know God through his word so deeply that they're not blown around by every new wind of theological teaching or doctrine. That's what Ephesians 4 says. This is not a business. And nowhere is it more clearly seen than in Paul's pastoral epistles in the New Testament. Especially in the letters that he wrote to the believers in Thessalonica, as well as to young Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus. In fact, he spoke against, at times, looking at numerical growth and tickling people's ears as opposed to teaching the truth that may in fact offend. Paul talked about that. As we have seen from Scripture, this thing our dad has called us to is difficult. We've been talking about that now for the last couple months. It started in Jonah, and then it went into out of stained glass, looking at the emotions of the patriarchs and how they felt about God's calling. This is difficult. And in the New Testament, it's called a war. We are in a spiritual war. This is tough. And so at times we want to find the easiest, most efficient way to accomplish what we feel our task is. But I want you to understand as we, as we move into this series that God has actually given us three things in which to encourage us in this difficult task. One is the Word of God. The second is the Holy Spirit. But the third is each other. You see, this was supposed to be when we gathered together and encouraged each other. This was supposed to be when you could, you know, not literally, it would smell in here, but kick your shoes off and take your hat off and relax. This is supposed to be our safe place. And as, as Americans who have bought into America as a Christian country, therefore it should be safe everywhere, 
It has diluted the value of our gathering. It has diluted the significance and the intimacy of our gathering. I think one of the wonderful things about the depravity that America is sliding into is that we're going to value our gatherings more. All of a sudden, those of you who get frustrated that I don't put a flag on the stage are going to start going, now I know why. I don't even want to think about this country right now. I mean, we, to, to put it in a kind of a gross nutshell, we have a choice in, in less than four weeks to choose a woman who wasn't faithful to her community vows against a man who wasn't faithful to his marriage vows. And we've, even the church has gotten into a battle over which of them is better. Neither of them are better. Jesus is better. This way is better. Knowing God and walking with Him and being filled with the Spirit is the only, it's the most, it's the most excellent way, Scripture says. This is the only way of hope. Our country, having a revival of the good old days, whatever that is, is not the solution to our anxiety issues. Jesus Christ is the solution to your anxiety issues. Because when you overcome a bad job and debt, you get cancer. And the solution to five minutes after death is Jesus Christ. Always has been and always will be, whether you're a communist or a Republican. That's the answer. And somewhere along the line, we have bought into the mentality of a culture and we've brought it into the church and we have just as much battling going on in here as we have going on out there. And when that battle rages, we go, well, you know, we've got to structure this and, and there's these, all these eloquent answers and you kind of go, gosh, at the end of the day, you're just a jerk. Seriously. God is not glorified in our business meetings when we tell each other off because somebody's spending too much on toilet paper or the color of the walls or the beauty of the outside of the facility or whether or not the plants are being taken care of. That's sin. That's sin. And it's business. It's not personal. When this is personal, it isn't business. It's family. And in the coming months, we're going to be looking at just how personal it is as we study through a couple of Paul's uh, pastoral epistles. We're going to go through First and Second Timothy. How do you relate to a pastor? I, I got news for you. We are so messed up in this Christian culture about what a pastor is. A pastor's not a dude who gave his life to Christ at 13 and all of a sudden decided at 18 to start preaching. That's because uh, he wanted to. That's not a pastor. That's a preacher. It's different. We're talking about a shepherd, which is God's gift to the church. Kind of feel ripped off, don't you? Like your 16th-year-old birthday gift when, you show, when your parents didn't buy you a new car. I didn't say we're perfect. We're a little bit chubby in the middle. But we are a gift. We are a gift. And you're a gift to each other. And the problem is it's now my job to convince you you're a gift to each other. It's my job to convince you that whether you're a Democrat or Republican, socialist or, you know, whether you believe whatever, whether you believe there's aliens or not, <laughs> Daryl Douglas, and whether you... What matters? What matters is that we've been adopted. And that makes us for better or for worse family. It makes us family. If you have accepted Jesus Christ's offer through faith alone to be the forgiver of your sin, then you have by default been adopted into the family of God. And it is as ugly as you think. This is your family. And we've got to start treating each other like it because we've got to prepare for weird times. It's going to get weird no matter who makes president. No matter what the Supreme Court is. How do I know that? Have you read the end of this story? It gets worse for us before it gets better. I know that bums some of you out, but Revelation clearly says that Jesus Christ tells, uh, tells us that some are going to be in prison and some are going to have a difficulty. And you know what? That means we're going to have to take care of each other. It's going to happen. 
And you're just seeing a taste of it right now. And I know we're trying to stop it. Maybe we can for a short while. But just so you know, God's not asleep on the throne. He's not, and even if, even if he is asleep on the throne, he's just as much in control as he was in the boat that day when the storm started sinking the ship. The disciples wake him up. Don't you care? We're drowning. He goes, sure. Hold on. Be quiet. Watch this. Stop. And it stops. Soon, brothers and sisters, soon he's going to say stop. But not today. Not tomorrow. Not after the debate. Not on November 9th, unless. All over the internet, I found out yesterday, my daughter told me that I should take heart. Tell me again, Annie, why is it Matthew what? Matthew 10.9. Matthew 10.9. Why, Anna? Be- because Hurricane Matthew hit on, on October 9th, and so God must be in it. Seriously, I guess it's all over the internet unless you made that up. And if not, I've got a heretic in my house. <laughs> Take a deep breath. God is in control of all that even when there's not a weird reference in Scripture to it. Just take a deep breath. God's good. He's not safe. And we need to get together and remind each other of that. And this Christmas we're going to, we're going to have some stupid events because we need to laugh. We rented out the Pines Theater on a couple dates. And one night we're going to show White Christmas. On. All right, pretty good. That's all I'm going to sing because it goes downhill from there. That's my Bing Crosby and Cosby, Crosby, Cosby's, Cosby's a comedian. But one night, it's going to be great. And then one night, we're going to do a Christmas story because you'll shoot your eye out. And we're going to have dress-up night. We're going to dress up for your favorite character in the movie. And some of you are going to go, that's not very spiritual. It is because we're there. But we're going to have a good time. Why? Because the work of the Lord is hard, so we need to laugh a little bit. We're going to have our agape feast because this is personal. And we'll fill this room full of people and we'll have food that's not good for you and we'll go home and have heartburn. And this year, Christmas, you know, it's on 25th of December. Did you know that? And that's a Sunday this year. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to have our Christmas Eve service at 11.15 at night and we're going to go till midnight and we're going to send you home to have Christmas. Some of you are going, nobody will come. We did it seven years ago and it went really well. And your kids are awake anyway. You might as well party all Christmas Eve and then come out. Bring them in their PJs. And we're going to sing songs and we're going to sing in Christmas Day. And then we're going to send you home to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. Because we've got to do that. And next year we're going to spend time enjoying each other because we've got to. Because it's personal, not business. This is not a theological or religious business. This is a family meeting every week. It's a family time. It isn't business, it's personal. And I want to be clear together as we begin this study, it's not, it's not just personal to you and I. As we open our, our look at 1 Thessalonians 1, it's not just personal to us, it's personal to God. Um, look with me, 1 Thessalonians 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul's first greeting to the church of Thessalonica was very personal. He introduces himself and those he is writing on behalf of as if these folks knew these three guys personally. And let me bring you into their culture a little bit. That's because they did know them personally. Um, By way of context, Paul had spent many years now traveling. This is his second missionary journey. He has spent many years traveling 
sharing the gospel, and at this time has become the most famous of all the New Testament missionaries. Yes, there were many. Remember, him and Barnabas had a splitting out. And so you got others traveling, but Paul was clearly the most famous or infamous, depending on how you, how you saw it, of all the New Testament missionaries. And those that went with him were a well-known team. These weren't just random people he would pick up. For instance, Silas, he mentions here, um, is Paul's primary associate or secretary on the second missionary journey. Um, Saul is, is probably helping write this letter as far as we know, but he was also well-known through the church. And we know that because Peter addresses him in 1 Peter 5.12 where he says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. So Silas was a well-known writer, associate, missionary person who, who was for a while went with Peter and sometimes went with Paul, but these are well-known people. They knew each other. It was personal. Then Paul mentions Timothy, and Paul has to introduce Timothy on his journeys because Timothy and Paul had a personal relationship. 1 Timothy 1-2 tells us, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. That's personal. My son in the faith. Paul had led Tim to Christ, had discipled him, had brought him into his mission work now, and eventually is going to leave him in Ephesus, one of his arguably favorite churches, to pastor that young church. Ephesus was blessed with good pastors just like y'all have been because not only is Timothy... What? Did I say something funny? You're a bunch of jerks. It's personal. Paul, Paul, Paul left not only Timothy there, but who is the pastor after Timothy? John the Apostle. That's some pretty good pastoring, I'd say, some pretty good shepherding. And if you want to know how, how personal, and we'll look at this too. I haven't decided if we're going to go from First and Second Timothy to John. But I, I, um, you, you have to understand, this was so personal. In, in John's letters to his church of Ephesus after leaving, that's First, Second, and Third John, he keeps calling them my children, my little children. There's this love relationship. I can't call you that because I'm not older than most of you. Most of you are way older than me. But the fact is that he, there's this, I'm just I'm going to stop with the jokes. This is, this is personal. It's, it's really, really personal. And you know what? It's even personal among us because when somebody disappoints you with sin or a pastor lets you down by being caught in adultery, it hurts so much that we throw them out. We don't minister to them in most cases. It's personal. And it's easier to divorce than it is sometimes to work through the pain, isn't it? It's personal. But identifying that it's personal may change the way that we interrelate. So he writes this letter from three guys that are personally acquainted with them. But that's not why it's really, really personal. There's a foundational relationship that makes it incredibly intimate. 1 Thessalonians 1b says this, We are writing to the church of Thessalonica. Look at that next line. To you who belong to God. Oh man, that's personal. To you who belong to God, the Father and, Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, uh, let's leave that up there because I want to go through this whole sentence. First of all, I, I, I think you probably know this by now, but the word church, ecclesia, it's a Greek word that has no religious affiliation except in the church today. It just means gathering. It's just a different word for it in Greek. It didn't mean religious gathering or Christian gathering. An ecclesia could be a city council meeting. An ecclesia could be a, I, I mean anything. It could be any gathering. It could be a family gathering. It could be a church gathering. That's why in most of Paul's letters he identifies them as what they are to the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. Oh, that group of people. You know, most of the, most of the opening uh, comments are actually an address. It, it, it specifically addresses the letter to who it is. 
The word church is used simply when talking about a gathering of people. And in this particular group, what Paul is saying is, I am writing to the gathering of the people that gather together in Thessalonica who belong to God. What God? The father and leader, ruler, the, uh, 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 the Lord of Jesus the Messiah. So that's the address. That's the church he's writing to. To those of you who get, get together regularly, who are owned by God, and you talk about him. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, it's not religious. This, this book that we've turned into a religious novel isn't a textbook. It's an intimate book. He's saying, hey, I want to be specific. This isn't written to the lost. This isn't written to everybody in Thessalonica. You know, one of the mistakes we make as Christians is we keep trying to apply biblical principles to a lost world. They're not our family. They're not saved yet. They're pre-evangelized. Our job is to get them saved. Then we can tell them what the Father says to them. But too often we take the morals. We, t- we take the morality. Of, look, l- let me talk about Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump because it's in my head and it's in our, all of our heads. But the fact is, just because one claims to be a Methodist and the other is a uh, 2 Corinthians Presbyterian doesn't mean they're children of God. Quit trying to attach and associate Christian values to an unsaved individual. You know, the New Testament teaches that we know who are Christians by their, by their fruit. It's by the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence because the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not that they attend a Christian church, but whether or not they have the Holy Spirit in them. That's Romans chapter 8. Those who do not have the Spirit of God in them are not the children of God. That's why Galatians 5 is so powerful. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. If you don't have the fruit of His presence, you're not His child. It's not complicated. It's not painful. It's just simple. If you, claiming to be a believer, don't have the fruit of God's Spirit in you, you need to revisit the cross. Not because you've lost salvation, but because there's no evidence you are saved. Well, at seven years old, I walked an aisle. Good for you. I walked an aisle this morning on the way up here. That doesn't mean anything. What means something is the Holy Spirit's presence. So we've got to smarten up as we live in this culture. People say they're Christians if it's politically expedient. They may be Christian by religion, but they're not Christian by rebirth. The term Christian in the, New Te- in the book of Acts was actually a derogatory term placed upon people who acted like little Christs. It wasn't people who went to religious gatherings or ecclesia. It was, it was people who actually had a life that reflected the same value system of Jesus. Problem causers. Because they themselves were different. That's what a true Christian is. Who's someone whose life is different. Somebody who well, for the most part, doesn't break their marriage vows and doesn't break their political vows. I mean, it's just judicial or legal vows. It is what it is. If we have a pattern of doing those things, we have every right to question whether or not we're truly little Christs. Uh-oh, I thought you said that, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. I did, but there has to be a, a, a fruit of the presence of God's presence because the difference between a saved person and unsaved is not where you attend on Sundays, but whether or not the Holy Spirit is in you. Well, how do you know? Because of his fruit. There's like an apple that says Holy Spirit's here. Love, there's joy, there's peace. Well, I'm not, I'm not peaceful, I'm upset. It, it's not perfect. It doesn't, it's going to grow, it's going to mature in time. But you can have a sick apple, but there's still an apple there. You can be completely, I got to tell you, see, uh, you know, it's not a secret, you know me very well. But the fact is that God has done his best work in and through me sometimes when Julie's been wrong and I had to tell her off before I came to church. Did I, did I say that wrong, sweetheart? I, 
I'm just teasing. I never pick on, okay, I did. But the fact is that there's been times when I'm just at wit's end and I'm not where I need to be and I'm feeling sorry for myself and I don't feel like, I don't feel like talking to God before the service and so it sounds something like this as I'm walking up here. Here we go, you better make something out of this. And that's the day everybody gets saved. <laughs> and that makes me mad too. I mean, the, the, the fact is, friends, that we struggle. But you know what's weird is God still uses you even if you're living in the flesh if you have the Spirit in you. I really believe that, dudes, if, if you end up in a strip joint, that thing inside that's going, why are you here, is the Holy Spirit going, why are you making me go here? This is the temple here, and we don't belong here. Or when you look at something you shouldn't be looking at or doing something you shouldn't be doing, that's that thing you feel. He's going, why are we here? We don't belong here. This, why are we hanging out in hell when we can have heaven? What are you doing? That's the Holy Spirit going, stop. If you don't have that bang on the inside of your heart, you should ask if there's anybody in there to knock. It's what it is, fruit of the Spirit. Most of us got saved to keep us out of hell. It wasn't personal except to save our rear ends. And that's okay. Because Proverbs actually says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. John the Baptist spoke of a coming judgment if you didn't repent. Jesus spoke of hell more than anybody else in Scripture, actually. So, so there's a place for that. But as we have also discussed, the real reason that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ sent him to take the punishment of our sins wasn't really to keep us out of hell. That wasn't his end game. Although that's what we talk about most of the time. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going I'm to read it, it's going to be on the screen, explains it. Starting in verse 4, he said, Even before the world was made, God, referring to the Father, loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So now you know what his choosing was. His plan for you, it doesn't say to save you from hell. Yeah, that's, that's your, that's your uh, residence after death. But his plan was to make you pure and holy. That was his plan. What did God want to do before the world was formed? Make you pure and holy. And you're going to find out why. Here it is. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. There's what his plan was. That was his end game. His end game, his unchanging plan was to, it was to adopt us into his family. To do that, he would have to make us pure and holy. So he predestined us to be pure and holy. He chose us to be pure and holy. Because pure and holy made us adoptable. And that's personal. He wanted you, let me finish, by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, So that's the end of that sentence. Let me just say this. God's desire, the Father, the one who you, you never look at on a, on a screen, the one we don't know what he looks like, but we have a visual of him in a, in a, in a uh, judge's cape and white hair and a, and a sword coming out of his mouth, the one whose voice is like thunder, the one we don't really pray to because we don't know how to pray to him. We're so obsessed with Jesus. He's the distant old man up there. He's the one who loved you. And before the world was even formed, he said, I'm going to save some of those, those people. Actually, you know what I'm going to do, kids? I'm going to adopt them. I love them so much that I'm going to make them my kin. Wow. That's personal. Well, how are you going to do that? Lucifer's fallen. He's mocking God. You can't do that. How are you going to do that? They belong to me. They're with me down here. I'm going to do that by making them pure and holy. How are you going to do that? I'm going to kill Jesus. No. And Scripture tells us in Hebrews that even the angels look at that and don't understand because they had no second chance. 
You see, God is so passionate, completely committed to making you his kid that he was willing. It was unthinkable to allow us to go into eternity without him, but it was thinkable to kill Jesus. That's personal. And why did he do it? Next verse. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him pleasure. So not only does God want to adopt you, and not only was his plan to make you pure and holy and become adoptable, but he did it because he high-fied himself. That's what made him happy. You want to know what pleases God? Your salvation, your adoption. It's not when you go out and do good things. It's him looking at you going, it's my kid. And you know that feeling because you're Texans. And when your son actually disobeys you and runs out and plays in the mud when you told him 32 times not to and now you're upset because they disobeyed and you finally get them washed and they're naked in the tub and their face is still filled with dirt you have to walk out of the room and giggle and go boy I tell you that kid is a mess but he is my mess that's how God feels about you you are a mess but you're his mess because of Jesus it's personal this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 6, so we praise God for this glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong, same word, to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace, and he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. That's personal. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Again, it says that this is what makes him happy. Why did he save you? Not because he felt bad for you, but because it turned him on. I like this. High five. Let's go, Jesus. But I'm going to... Ah, go get him. Go get my kids. Go get him. It's like that. The words here are personal. They're not religious. I have a plan that is going to be for eternity ever. We shall... go. It's not how it is. It's like this is what we're going to do. You're going to make those people adoptable. Even that guy, Saul, he's killing your kids. Even Saul, especially Saul. I love Saul. <laughs> Saul's a mess, but he's about to be my mess. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority, verse 10, of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, verse 11, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. I want you to know that I have $7 in the bank today. And that's my retirement plan. And all that, it's a joke, it's like 17. But, but, but I'm not giving any of you that money. Why? Because I don't like you that much. That $17 is mine for, for retirement. And Julie and I are going to go to Whataburger and we're going to get two burgers. The, the fact is, to give an inheritance, there has to be an enormous amount of respect, love, and concern. Now, let me share something with you. Everybody in this room understands that Jesus Christ is the heir to everything the Father owns, right? Of course, then you go, well, what's the benefit of that? The Father's never going to die. Quit thinking, okay? But I want you to know that throughout the New Testament, you were called a joint heir with Jesus. In other words, you are on the same equal level. Everything God gives the Son, He's giving you. That's how personal this is. If I'm Jesus, imperfect, and I'm not, thank God for that truth, I'm going, hey, what, can I have a little bit more than the rest of them? They're just adopted. God doesn't see that. It's personal. That's how much He loves you. Verse 11, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance for God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. In other words, there's nothing you can do to stop what he wants. 
Verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he now identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. So let me picture this. This is a sealing. The word is seal. It's a, it's a reference. Uh, the Greek word in here is about that. It's a reference to a, a New Testament time when a king or a monarch would identify that, pro- that which was his property by putting a wax seal and his own signet ring on it. His ring that he wore all the time would go on that wax and it would leave a permanent mark. So you knew whose property you were stealing before you stole it. And you could think twice. That's what this is. After... Way before, let's start there. Way before God said, I'm going to adopt these people. I'm going to make them my kids. Satan says, no, you can't because they're sinful and they're mine. Well, I'm going to buy them from you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. How are you going to do that? I'm going to let you kill Jesus. Okay, deal. Jesus comes down, he gets killed. Uh, Three or four, killed. That is Texan for killed. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ resurrects from the dead, ascends into heaven, and a couple months later, he sends the Holy Spirit. Month and a half later, sends the Holy Spirit. Why do you send the Holy Spirit? Identification. And by the way, if you're not saved and you go into the tribulation period, this is a conservative view, some of you don't agree with this, but you have to put up with me. The, the fact is that Satan is going to send the Antichrist and he's going to have a false signature. It's going to be the 666. My advice to you is don't take it. It'd be better to die a horrific, starving to death death than take that mark. Follow Jesus even in that. <laughs> That's my little tribulation saint message. <laughs> The fact is he's going to give a false seal because Satan falsely identifies everything. If you want peace, Satan tells you to take marijuana. Drink a little bit more. If you want joy, drink more. If you want a rush, like you had this morning worshiping, commit adultery. I know that's shocking to some of you who haven't committed adultery, but let me be true. Let's be honest for a second. Sin is a rush or nobody be doing it. Nobody would be doing what they, it wasn't a rush. It's a rush. There's something about being caught and catching. It's a game, right? And after you've been married 25 years and you're looking a little frumpy in the middle, you wonder if you're still marketable. That's what Satan does. He, he gets you to look in the mirror too much. Selfies. That's why my advice is take them from the face up. Just, just don't. You look better. I've seen you. You look better. You just, and, and for some, do this. Do it, do it up here. And by the way, it does work. I've, I've noticed that teenage girls have taught me that when you do a selfie, you want to put your tongue in your teeth and do the duck thing. Because it, it does something to your face. They do look better on film than they do in real life. Teenage girls, stop it! <laughs> Listen, the reality is Satan is going to counterfeit everything God offers you so that you don't want to go to God and you need more of that thing. That's called lust and it owns you. It owns you. That's why we have a church. The church is helping us not be owned by Satan again because we've been re- delivered from him. And sometimes we get stuck. We, we, we get stuck politically. We get stuck morally. And we need each other to say it's going to be okay. But, but getting back to our point, God identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. It's personal between God and you. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give you the inheritance he promised. It's a guarantee. It's personal. Not just salvation, we just read salvation, but chapter 2 tells us it's personal after salvation. Look at this. Once you, singular in the Greek, once you were dead because of your singular disobedience and your singular many sins. This is not, a, this is not corporate right here. This is singular. You'll see why in a minute. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts, plural, of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, now it's plural, all of us. 
All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our, plural, very nature, we were, under, were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us. Oh, he's plural again. He's talking about corporate. He loved us so much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, you, singular. You know, sometimes you sit in the middle of a group and you go, yeah, I, I was talking with, uh, with Robert Grimes earlier. You know what the, you know what the scariest thing 3 a.m. Uh, night terrors are? I sure hope I'm right on grace, or maybe I'm that pastor that God uses despite he's on his way to hell. You've, ever, you've heard of people preach about that guy. I mean, I'm always afraid that I'm, I'm that guy. Satan, Satan wants me to live in fear. And, and so to know it's personal that he saved me reminds me, he didn't do this corporate thing and then choose a few of us. He actually chose you. He knew you with the big nose and the large feet. He chose you who struggles with stupid stuff nobody struggles with. He chose you. He knows you. He knows your flesh. You, singular. It is only, uh, verse five, that even though you were, uh, we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of, of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now he's gonna get personal. God saved you by his grace when you believed. So if you're here this morning and you're going, I, I'm God's kid, it's because you believed he adopted you and you can't take credit for this. How weird is that? He just said you believed and you became saved. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. We're God's work. He's poured out his grace on you. That's what makes him happy. He looks at Mark Strong, and he says, that's my boy. And somebody whispers in his ear, maybe it's Lucifer, like with Job. He whispers, Mark, ain't that great of a guy? And Jesus goes, I know. Isn't that cool? That's how merciful I am. No, I'm not saying go crazy with sin to prove God's grace is sufficient. I'm simply saying, you are going crazy with sin. How great is our God? I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, I don't sin willfully. I sin accidentally. You are lying to yourself. The reason you get mad at the waitress who doesn't serve you what you deserve is because she didn't serve you what you think you deserve. That's willful sin. Get over yourself. You deserve bad food. Because by your nature, you're under the wrath of God. You deserve hell. You're getting heaven. Our job here is to minister to others and tell. We're here to do dad's work, family work. We're not here to be served. You are the masterpiece of God. But not because you're beautiful and precious, but because you're beautiful and precious to him. And he's retooled you for what he has for you. So go at it. And he will use you. I just don't have any gifts. Whack! I'm going to start slapping people who say that. Stop it. You do not, that is denying the scripture. You are precious to God. You never have to preach a message from a pulpit to still be used because you are the workmanship, singular. You are the very masterpiece of God. You are precious to him, even if the rest of the world hates you. You are precious. You are gifted. You are used, and you belong to him. This is personal. Your salvation was personal, and, it's, and, and, and your adoption was personal, and now your transformation is personal. And this isn't just Paul talking. Look at what Jesus said in John 6, 39. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose, what's those two words? Even one. Now, I'm not a math scholar, but I know what even one means. Not even one of those that he has given me, but I shall raise them up on the last day. How good news is that for us? 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, uh, his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, he sent Jesus to come get you. He didn't just send him to die. That's why he lived for 33 years. That's why we celebrate Christmas. My theme this year for Christmas in my brain, I just told Chad and I've been telling the staff, my theme is... I get it. He understands the difficulties of your life. I get it. We have a sympathetic high priest. Why? Because he lived for 33 years. It's personal to God. Jesus Christ did not want to be your high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father without identifying emotionally with you. That's crazy stuff. That's how crazy he is about you. That's how personal this is. In 1 Thessalonians 1.1, we are writing to the church of Thessalonica, you who belong to God. And you know why you belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says it. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You are his property. That's who Paul is writing to, because it's personal from God to us. He's writing to the believers in Thessalonica, those who belong to God. And you are here in 2016, sitting in this church this morning, or watching on the internet, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if the Holy Spirit has identified you as His own, you belong to God, singular. You are His masterpiece, singular. He chose you, singular. His desire was to make you pure and holy through Jesus, singular, so that you could be adopted, singular. You are adopted into the family of God, and that's personal. And because that's personal, this needs to be personal. And that's what the New Testament talks about. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a marriage book. It's a love chapter on Christians loving each other. It's what we do if we're filled with the Spirit. It's personal. If you want to know how God loves those He loves, there's no greater verse in Scripture than Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. That's written to the nation of Israel, but that's the quality of love God has for those he loves. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward as we prepare for our, off our offering. We're going to take a second offering this morning as we take communion. But I, I want you to know something. God really, really likes you. A lot. He's responsible for you. He owns you. This is personal. It's not business. If we're healthy, we will have some business. But that business doesn't rule who we are or what we do. It's a reflection of whose we are and why we do it. God's passion for Carpenter's Way is not a corporate passion. It's an individual passion for you. It's for you. And we are fixing, believe it or not, in the next few weeks to start celebrating the personal nature of our salvation. He didn't just come down and die and resurrect. He came down and hung out for 33 years so that he could get you. Not own you there, but understand you. He could understand your fear, your pain, your rejection.
He can understand your temptations. He can understand the overwhelmed nature. He can understand the battles in the church. He gets it. He gets it. Emmanuel, God with us. So this year at Christmas, as we start embarking on this season, don't put it off. Engage it. Engage the truth of it. Let's skip Halloween this year. (laughs) Sorry, political comment. Skip Halloween and go right to Christmas. Well, what about Thanksgiving? Okay, we'll have turkey too. Christmas. Nativity. God among us. Emmanuel. It's that personal. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. Thank you for adopting. I pray this morning that we would see just a little bit more just how personal it is for you. In your name we pray, amen. For those of you who uh, don't know what this is, I'll explain it. And the rest of you, why don't you talk to your daddy? Um, When you talk to your daddy, don't go through all the sins of this last week. Thank you for his grace. And tell him you want to understand just how personal this is. Go ahead. To those of you who don't understand this, l- let me explain. <clears throat> um, this is matzah bread. It's what's used in, uh, in the Passover feast. The Jews would do this as part of it, actually, since back at the Exodus. Uh, they would take a piece of matzah, matzah bread and they would, they would lift it up and they would break it and they'd put it in a pouch and hide it and the kids would go search for it. It was the middle piece of three pieces of matzah. Jesus, the Last Supper, was having the Seder meal, the Passover meal with the disciples, and he, he, he did that, only there weren't kids in the room, so they weren't going to find it hidden, which is kind of a cool picture too, isn't it? You search for me as silver and you look for me as gold, you'll find me. But when Jesus took this bread with the disciples, they knew, they expected it to be broken. That was always done. But when he looked at the disciples in the face, he said, look, pay attention now. This is my body broken for you. Crack. And the disciples had to go, what the heck are you talking about? He had just told them that he was going to die. You see, Jesus didn't just come to shed the blood, which would save you. He came to live the life so he could understand you. Those of you who are ill, Jesus knows what it's like to be beaten and sick for hours before his death. He knows what that's like. For those of you who have been abandoned by everybody in this life, including your family, Jesus knows that too. His family called him crazy. Jesus knows what it's like to be single and want to be married. Go back to Isaiah. It says that he had no offspring except those that the Father would give him. That gives me reason to believe that Jesus kind of lamented the fact that he couldn't have a family, wasn't here to have a family. Jesus knows what it's like to be single and alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Jesus knows what it's like to tell the truth and be called a liar. There is nothing that you can experience in this life. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a friend. He lost both Lazarus and he lost John the Baptist. And both of those send him crying. Both of those make him weep, which is weird because he raised Lazarus back from the dead. It's pretty incredible, but there's nothing you have experienced. For those of you who say, well, he was never tempted. You've never read the story. For 40 days he was tempted. And he was tempted like us, it says. He was really tempted. It'd be a lie if he wasn't tempted, tempted. Yeah, but he wasn't tempted, tempted, tempted. Oh, he was tempted, tempted, tempted. Yeah, but he couldn't sin. He chose not to. Well, could he have sinned? I don't know how many angels can stand on the head of a pin. I, I don't know, but I do know he was tempted. So he gets you when, you're, when, when you when you're tempted. He gets you. 
and then he allowed him to kill him. So he could can take care of you when you give in to temptation. It's personal. And the bread, the bread doesn't represent that which saved you. The bread simply reminds us that Jesus Christ actually, it was so personal for him that he actually came and lived the life before he died the death. He gets it. This isn't religious. This doesn't save you. It's personal. <laughs> and he wants us to do it a lot so we don't forget how intrinsically personal this is. So let's take it and remember. Thank you, Father, for making it personal. In Jesus' name we pray. Then he took the cup, which was wine. This is grape juice. And he held it up to him. It's uh, often recognized that the cup he took probably at that part of the service was the cup of, it's called redemption. It's actually an engagement cup. When a couple was about to be engaged, <coughs> After arrangements were made for, for between the father, the contracts have been set, a man will take this cup and he'll look at his Jewish-to-be bride and he'll say, take this cup, drink all of it. This is our contract. They wouldn't exchange a ring. They would exchange the wine. So at the Last Supper, after he says, this is my body broken for you, he takes that cup and he that's all, there's like seven cups laid before him and he takes that particular cup and he holds it up to the disciples and says, this, is, this cup is, in my, is my blood. It's going to make us one. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember me talking about all that? All that engagement conversation? This is you accepting my offer to marry me. Take it and drink it. He was asking them to accept his offer to forgive their sin. We're told by Paul that we need to do this so we never forget how we got here. You didn't get here by growing up Baptist or Assemblies of God or Lutheran. You didn't get here because you grew up in America. You got here because God chose you to be here. He chose you to be pure and holy so that he, he could accomplish his plan, which was to adopt you. It wasn't enough to have a plan. He had to pay for that adoption, just like people do today. And the price of that would be the blood of his only real son, Jesus Christ, so he sent him to have him slaughtered, and he was. And once that was done, he sealed us into eternity forever as a guarantee by the sealing of the Holy Spirit that was given us after Pentecost, the moment you get saved. That's why this is here. Because sometimes we forget that being moral doesn't make you a good Christian. It just makes you a good human. Being Baptist doesn't make you a good Christian. It just connects you with a religious body. 
what makes you his is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can't afford to forget that because the church, just like the Jews, always forget that. We keep forgetting that we are lost just like those people without Jesus. I'm going to be quiet as they finish and I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk with your daddy in heaven about his gracious gift of adopting you. Scripture tells us that it was through the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood that there was removal of our sin. We can't ever afford to forget that that's what made us adopted. Not this. That's what made us adoptable. And that's what made the Father happy. Yes, they're mine. So right now, the Father is sitting on the throne and Jesus is his right hand and he's going, oh, they're remembering. Remember that, Jesus? Because even if it ceased to become personal for you, it's still very personal to him. So let's take this in remembrance of how personal it is. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed for me. Not just for them, but for me. Thank you that it's not corporate only. It's people-specific. Thank you that you use folks like us who are talented and untalented but deeply, deeply gifted. We do love you, Dad. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, a couple things. Um, the elders are going to be at the doors. Uh, and they go to the door. Uh, we take an offering after communion each time we have it. It's called our Benevolence Fund. And what that does is it goes to family members, church family members that are going through financially difficult times. And we bless them and help them out and pay bills sometimes. If you're able to help, great. If not, that's okay too. Just do what you can. Um, about 99% of this money goes to Carpenter's Way families. Uh, and the reason we do that is because it's one of the benefits of being part of our family. So if you're able to help with that, great. The other thing is I want to encourage you, if, you have not, uh, if you're not registered to vote, you need to be involved. And there's somebody... Um, <laughs> Um, there, somebody, uh, Sharon Kennedy will be out there. Go out the door to the right and she'll register you to vote. Vote. Uh, remember, you don't have to vote just for president. You're voting for a platform. So uh, vote for the person you think represents that platform the best. And uh, um, so that's that. Enjoy this afternoon. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Bible study will start in 10 minutes.